0: Okay, as we're in 1 Samuel 27, we're going to look at a number of different passages from 27 onward. And we're giving a final look at the first half of this story of Samuel and the original, original writings of the Hebrew Old Testament. This was one book, 1 and 2 Samuel made up the book of Samuel. And so we're really getting half of the story here. But through the first half of this book, we, end, we are going to see we're ending with Saul's death. And this death is coming while he's in battle against the Philistines and while Israel, God's people, are being defeated by their number one enemy. And so I'm going to highlight a few passages as we walk throughout these last four chapters that will help tell the story and finish this story first half of the story in the context of this biblical, of the, whole, of the whole biblical narrative. And as I do that, I hope we'll keep this question in mind. Is your king the fallen Adam or is your king the risen Christ? Now, none of us would literally think of Adam as our king or even a king at all. As far as I know, there's not any groups that um, worship or serve the legacy of our first parent, Adam. And so that may sound like a strange question. But the Bible, in a very real sense, speaks of Adam as a king. And it does this in its clearest form in Romans 5, where Paul describes Adam as a type of the one to come. And he says in this chapter in Romans, Romans 5, he says that through Adam's trespass, condemnation spread to all men, and that through his disobedience, many were made sinners. So through our first parent, condemnation spread to all men, sinfulness spread to all people because of him. Now God wants us to see that this, he wants us to see this about a king, that It's not only, a king is not only someone or something that we worship and serve. That's very true. Um, And it's not less than that, but it is more than that. Because a king is also who represents you. A king is who speaks for you. A king is who you're tied to. And what a king does, that then determines perhaps what's expected of you. Because he sets the tone or sets the course, sets the stage. We we struggle to want to embrace this biblical concept that we've been represented by someone long before we were born. Or that someone defines us. Or we are we are how we are, or we are who we are because of someone else from long ago. But a way to grasp this is to think about how we're connected to our parents. And whether you like that idea or not, or whether you've tried to separate yourself or not from parents, it's true that we're very connected. There's a representation that's there. Just this week I had someone telling me how he was treated differently in a good way, and this can go both ways, but how he was treated differently in a good way as soon as when someone found out who his father was. You've probably heard something like this before. Oh, it doesn't surprise me that she is smart. Her mother was so smart. Or you may have heard something like this. I don't expect very much out of him because his father never amounted to much. Do you see the connection that's there? We have those connections whether we've even realized it or not. Many of the last names that we know of today were created because of this very understanding. If Robert had a son and Robert named his son John... There was a time when that man or that boy became known as John Robertson. Or maybe in a more sophisticated way, he was um, called John Mac Roberts. I don't know if that's more sophisticated, but I'm a Mac, so I tend to think it is. But this is all to tell us that there's a connection there. And that, and that this idea of a representation... Or a federal headship goes down to even the family, and that, there, and that we see this as we see this very true and clear in the idea of family. This is even applied to Jesus in an earthly way. This is what it says in Matthew chapter eleven, uh, chapter thirteen, and this is what Matthew tells us about Jesus's representation. This is Matthew thirteen verse fifty-four, it says, "And coming to his hometown." He, meaning Jesus, taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So we see this even applies to Jesus in an earthly way. These people are hearing Jesus teach and they're saying, Where is this coming from? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's son? Aren't his brothers these people? Where is this coming from? He's represented by them. This does not match up. And so all of that to say, representation shouldn't be a foreign concept to us. This is what the Bible presents from beginning to end, that you are tied to one another, represented by another, and therefore we ask the question again, is your king the fallen Adam or the risen Christ? And the first thing I want to look at as we're asking that question, and as we look at 1 Samuel 27 through 31, is to see this adamic picture of Saul or how Saul resembles Adam. Now, as we look at this in 1 Samuel 27:1, this is what we read. Then David said in his heart. Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel and I shall escape out of his hand. So what, what can we determine from that? David is discouraged. He's had enough. He's come to his limit of fleeing from Saul. Saul goes from praising david to having anger and wanting to destroy him just in a moment's time and this happens a number of times throughout this story and so david has reached his limit and he says it's time for me to go now we don't know the author doesn't tell us whether this was the right thing for david to do or whether this was a huge mistake and a lack of faith different people have different opinions but here's what i believe that we're supposed to see even more than that This is what the author wants us to recognize, that David is about to leave the borders of Israel, go outside the borders of Israel. And so far, even though David has been on the run, he has remained in Israel. And here's what we're supposed to know, that because he has remained there, therefore the light of God's anointing on David has been in the land. And his leaving the land should cause us to expect the grace of the Lord the restraint of the Lord, and the protection of the Lord to leave, begin to leave along with David in a more real, clear, and powerful way. Now, we see this principle in other places in Scripture. In the story of Joseph, we see that as Joseph went into the land of Egypt, the favor of the Lord went with Joseph, and what we know is is that famine struck his family back in their land, so much so that they had to come into Egypt in order to be rescued. And so we see the favor of the Lord going with Joseph. We also see in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that we are told that God was willing to spare that city if he could find ten righteous in the land. He could find ten right, and so we are seeing that when there's a representation in the land, that there's God's protection and restraint on that land. When the Jews are in Babylon, they're told to seek the prosperity of the city. We know this in the story of Daniel. We see that Daniel brings prosperity to the government in Babylon because the favor of the Lord is with him, and so we see this principle in other places. This is very much intact even today. As the gospel penetrates a land, God's favor has been evident to dwell there. If the, if the gospel or God's people depart, or if they're forced from a land, we should expect favor to depart, and we've seen that over time throughout history. And it's no accident that prosperous civilizations were fueled by the expansion of God's true church from the Middle East to North Africa to Europe to North America and now elsewhere throughout the globe, There, God's presence, the gospel fuels His favor. There's a great book that I've read and I've referred back to it over the years. It's called The Barbarian Conversion. And this book is a story about um, the conversion of the area uh, that we know of today as the United Kingdom. And what this book goes, it goes through a detailed account of the conversion of the people in this area. And we're told through this book that missionaries uh, that went to this land were told to never go because uh, the people that dwelled in the place that we know of today as England, Scotland, the people in North Africa and Greece, In Rome, they considered these people as not even able to be converted. That conversion was unavailable to them completely. But as the gospel began to move into this land, what do we see that happen? We see conversions take place. Yes, we see churches come into this land, but also we see progress and righteousness and grace come. Of course, we know that about our land. As many mistakes and as much fallenness has come here, we see God's favor came here with the gospel. And this is all to say this, without God's hand, we are left with Adam's seed only. Only Adam's seed. Fallen man alone. And when David left Israel, it represented this, that also God's glory left. Grace left. We're left with Saul alone. The fallen line. We see this in chapter 28. As we, as we shift over to a chapter in verses 5 through 7, follow along with me as I read these verses. This is when the army of the Philistines is coming upon Israel. Verse 5, When Saul... Saul, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines. He was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, listen, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servant, Servant, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor." Some versions, your version may say, um, the witch at Endor. This is what Saul was seeking out. Someone who could speak to uh, the spirits of the dead or evil spirits. Saul was just wanting to get an answer. And it's because he could hear nothing from the Lord. The Lord's voice was not in the land. So he turns to none other than the enemy himself. Now how is this a picture? How does he resemble Adam here? The reason is this is what Adam does in the garden. He turns to the enemy. He believes that Satan has an answer and can offer wisdom and power. And in a sense, this does lead to truth. And what we see in 1 Samuel 28 is a very odd scene because this medium that Saul appeals to brings up in some form the person of Samuel from the dead, from the grave. And Samuel just repeats what he told Saul many years ago, that because of his disobedience, the kingdom has been stripped from him and given to David. And this time Samuel tells Saul this, that he is going to die in battle tomorrow. This is what we read about in 1 Samuel 28. And this is what Israel is left with. King Saul, a picture of the fallen Adam. The only, the only line that is left in Israel for leadership is the fallen line, the fallen king. Now before we move on to this next brief point, just to say, when when we as Christians, who have the Holy Spirit that dwells within them, when we retreat from the influence of society, we leave it in the hands of someone like Saul. We leave it in Saul's hands. We leave it in the hands of someone who is like Adam that is forced... Remember, Adam was cast out of the garden, which is to tell us that Adam is cast out of the immediate presence of the Lord. And when we when we retreat from society, when we look to remove ourselves from what's going on all around us, we leave it in the hands of someone. And if there's not other people who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that are there, we leave it in the hands of the fallen line, of the hands of Merely a man, merely a fallen person who will carry out the work of that society. And so as we look at this and we see that the author is showing us that David is leaving. He's going to the nation where his enemies dwell. He's leaving Israel, going across the borders. God's glory, God's grace, God's voice, God's favor. All of that is departing. All of that is leaving. So Saul appeals to the Lord. He does not answer him. And so he's left with just a person. Israel is left with just a person like Adam. Now this leads to something, to a warning. For one, we see a warning here to Israel, but it's also a warning to the world. And that's our second point. So as we look at someone who resembles Adam, Saul resembling Adam, also there's a warning to the world here. Now, as Samuel predicted, some form of Samuel, as he predicted Saul's death, it did come the next day in battle. And here's what we find out in 1 Samuel 31, if you'll flip over, in verses 9 and 10, 1 Samuel 31. Verse 9. So they, the Philistines, cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. And they put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Now here's what's being displayed in Philistia here. The king of Israel. The mighty one is dead. And the Philistines are saying, we have cut off his head. And remember, if we go back at the beginning of Saul's reign, Saul was the one who Israel chose to replace whom? Saul was the one that Israel chose to replace Yahweh. They wanted a human king. They were tired of having a king that was unlike them. They were tired of having a king that they could not see and could not predict. They wanted one like them, and so they chose Saul to replace Yahweh. And so as the Philistines are placing Saul's body up on a wall, and as they have cut off his head and announcing that throughout the nation, they are saying the king and, in fact, the God of Israel has died. Now, Saul's body was placed in Beth-shan. what that's telling us is that Saul's body was placed where their god, Dagon, was kept. And so they took the king of Israel, the people's god, and placed him headless in the shrine of Dagon. And if you remember, this is way back in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, but if you remember what happened to Dagon is that when the Philistines... Captured the Ark of the Covenant and brought it into the chambers of Dagon. They got up the next day and Dagon's head was cut off. They tried to pick him up, put his head back together, set him back on the shelf where he belonged. So what we're seeing here is that here is the king, a god of Israel, the god of the people, headless, in the chamber with another headless god. So here's the warning to the world. All other gods besides Yahweh are headless. They're all headless. And we need to hear this because we try to find one headless God after another. We exalt one thing after another. We go from one God to another until we have a chamber full of headless gods that we have given our life to and they're surrounding us. And it's only for us to see over and over again that we are giving our lives to that which is lifeless. To that which has no existence apart from the one true God. So here's the warning to the world and to all of us. We are probably giving our life right now today. Even as we sit here reading God's word, we are probably giving our life to a headless God. What is it that's your king? Who is your king? Who represents you? Where do you get your identity? And listen, it doesn't have to be something evil. It doesn't have to be Dagon. It could be Saul. It could be someone that we chose because he was strong and mighty and good and would carry out our purposes, help us accomplish good things. It doesn't have to be evil. But if your king is not Christ, if your king is not Christ, and this takes an honest look, a deep look, a sincere look into your heart, if your king is not Christ, then you will find that king in the same position as Saul. Headless. Unable to give life. Completely unable to give you now, I want us to see here, this is our third point, the Philistine gospel that is proclaimed in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel. Now, this is the last section of the first half of this book. And this is where we find this Philistine gospel. And it's in verse 30, chapter 31, verse 9. And I'll read it again. So they cut off his head, Saul's head, stripped off his armor. And sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to their people. So here we have the proclaimers. Go, proclaimers, send out the gospel. The Hebrew word here is gospel, good news. Send out the gospel to the house of their idols and to the people. Go out into the streets and share the gospel. The king of the Jews is dead. This is the Philistine gospel. Do you hear the Philistine gospel in 1 Samuel nine. Now this was a message of hopelessness for the people of God. Because here is their choice and he's dead. Now it sounds similar to another announcement when another king of the Jews was killed about a thousand years later. And you know what? Our gospel begins in a very similar fashion to the Philistine gospel. But it ends up sounding quite different. Because our gospel says, yes, our king died. Yes, our king found his death in battle. Yes, the King died, but our Gospel keeps going on because it says the King ever lives. Who is your King? If it's anyone other than the King Jesus, do you understand that you have a Philistine Gospel? Do you understand that the world around you will only Be able to say what is actually true. That our kings and our gods that we have have died because we have no power. We don't have the presence of the Lord. Because we're represented by the fallen Adam. We're represented by someone who is just like us, who is in the grave. And do you see, if our King is the fallen Adam, do you know what our King does? Our King simply invites us into the grave. Our King simply says, come and be with me in the grave. Come and perish with me. but if your king is Jesus if your king is Jesus then the Philistine gospel is rubbish because Pilate wanted Pontius Pilate wanted us to see that this is the king of the Jews and the last king of the Jews has died but the gospel of Christ tells us that it keeps going because he ever lives. And so as if, if Adam is your king, which means if anything other than Christ is your king, if that's your king, you get invited into the grave. That's where you will end up. That's where you will belong. And that's where you will await eternal death. But if your king is Jesus, this is what... This is where He invites you because, yes, our King died, but our King ever lives. And so Jesus invites you to the resurrected life. He invites you to the life that overcomes death. And He invites you to freedom. And so what Jesus invites you to is the ability to, to say that I was once dead and now I am alive. And I'm now free because the place where I once lived, where I was in chains, now He has transferred me over to a resurrected life. (laughs) This is our King. He has come to rescue His people. And yes, our Gospel says that the King died. But our Gospel also says something that is different from every other Gospel. Every other message. It says that our King lives now and He lives forever. So who is your King? May your King be King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for giving faithfulness to Your people. That that's a gift from You. And so we appeal to that gift. We ask for faithfulness. We ask for courage. Lord, we desperately need biblical courage. We desperately need biblical courage to get out from under headless kings and allow us to then get connected to the one true King, our Head Jesus Christ. Allow us to be a church where only He reigns. Father, give us the courage to stop sharing to, to stop sharing that throne. Give us the courage, by your Holy Spirit, pour your spirit outward. Grant renewal and revival here to your church. Let us agree in one sense with the Philistines that the king died. But then let us know and embrace and let, it then, let this gospel, the biblical gospel, the gospel of Christ, let it change us in such powerful ways because we know that our king lives and will ever live and ever reign pray this in the strong name of our Savior who is alive now.